Hi everyone and a huge welcome to the Dedicate Podcast. I'm your host Kate Ivey. The Dedicate Podcast is based around challenges, what happened, what our guests learnt from them and where they are now. I'm going through some challenging times at the moment with my daughter who has special needs and her education. She's not coping in the classroom environment so we're making changes, there's no special school here. So it's tough and no one's doing it tougher than her. So I just wanted to say to those who are experiencing hard times, like us, that you're not alone. You're amazing, keep fighting and keep doing what you think is best. To those who aren't going through tough times, remember for when you are, that a problem shared is a problem halved. All right, into the podcast. I have an absolutely amazing podcast. Today I'm chatting to Steph Borowski. Hopefully I've pronounced that correctly. Steph lives on a farm in a remote part of New South Wales. I met Steph online, she's been a Dedicate Ambassador through her Instagram page where she shares hilarious reels about farm life and being a farmer's wife. Steph shares many of the challenges and learnings from her life, including her parents separating when she was 13, meeting her husband and moving to the farm, motherhood, having a neurodiverse child, her faith and affiliate marketing. There's a lot and Steph shares from the heart. Hope you enjoy. Hi, Steph. How are you going? Good. How are you? Thank you. Good. What's happening today? I've got one home with a head injury. So, oh no, that, what happened? He was swinging like a monkey across the road <laughs> on over our slate on the veranda, and yeah. um, it didn't go well. But she's at, thankfully she's okay. We actually cool. we took her and um, she was checked out quite thoroughly by a really good doctor there, which was amazing. Oh, actually. awesome. So yes, yeah, so it was all a bit stressful, but yeah. yeah. So scary when stuff like that happens, isn't it? I know, and you're you know, and you're a long way away as well. Yeah. So how are you? I'm good. I'm oh, not too much. The sun's shining, so I'm yeah, happy. Exactly too. I think it's good. gonna be 25 degrees here today. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. Our sun shining here is um, I looked at the car at six degrees. Oh <laughs> <laughs> probably get to about 13 or 14. Oh my but gosh, I think it started off at about 16 and I was like, oh, it's a bit chilly this morning. <laughs> it's amazing what you get used to, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So excited to chat today. I've got so much, so many questions or lots oh, of cool. um, different topics. And yeah, I guess ideally I'll be sitting back and just listening. But yeah, we briefly touched base about challenges and you said that your parents separating is one of your biggest ones. So talk us through that. Well, I was only 13 at the time and it was one of those, you know, one of those things that I've realized now as an adult that so many people have been through, especially in our generation. So many parents are not together anymore, but that it seriously affected such a huge portion of my life and probably still to this day affects. Mm-hmm my children in in that it's, it's really interesting how you know it goes on for generations and generations and so I was yeah I was probably about 13 and I realized that um I don't want to paint my dad as the as the only bad no you know as the as the person in the situation who in the end made the mistake but there was you know, of course, as an adult me looking back recognizing that there's definitely two sides to every story and there's reasons that a marriage breaks down. Um, but in at the time when I was 13, he, he had ended up having an affair with my piano teacher and I ended up having to tell my mum about it. So it was very, 
you know, it was a very traumatic experience and a really traumatic time to go through. Um, did yeah. you, sorry, did you see it happening? How did you know it was happening? Yeah, I did see it happening. I, I sort of realized that, that, that just, they were a little bit too close. And I think what was probably one of the biggest telling things. And I think when you're that age, you know, it doesn't really dawn on you, but I did feel, I think you sense things, you, you're quite intuitive. As children, we don't know what they mean, but there's that intuition there and, and something might tell you, mm, this is a little bit off, but you're not really sure why. But my piano teacher would sort of, she was just extra, extra friendly to me in particular than her other students, you know, and she would buy me things or she would, you know, give me free lessons or lessons for longer and just things like that. And I sort of started to think, oh, this is, I wonder why she's doing that. You know, that's a bit odd. And then one day when my dad had picked me up, I thought, I, and I still can't quite remember if I actually saw it or I just got the inkling, but I thought that they had sort of stolen a kiss in the kitchen because I, I used to learn piano at her house. And then on the way home, I sort of guessed, I suppose, what was happening, but I wasn't really sure how to confront my dad about it. My dad and I were so close and we still are so close to this day. And I, so I decided to sort of make up a story basically about the same thing happening to a friend of mine at school, hypothetically. Mm -hmm. He didn't know that. And just to gauge what his reaction was. Yeah. And it was when he said to me, you know, sweetheart, you can never judge what's going on in a marriage or what's happening in a situation. And it was sort of then when he said that, that I just knew, mm -hmm. okay, that's exactly what's going on here. Mm -hmm. And so then, yeah, I, I think the rest is a bit of a blur. I got home and I told my big sister and then I, we, I think from memory we went together to tell my mum and, of course, she was just in shock and and then we sort of just, dad came downstairs and he he sort of saw the situation unfolding and, you know, there was a lot of tears and a lot of upset and, yeah, it was just, it was really full on. It was a really, really full on time in my childhood and I remember one night my dad sort of having to go, like mum had said, you, you need to go. And he leaving, but me, I was just so close to my dad and I just didn't want him to go. And I remember as a little girl holding on to him on one end and my mum kind of pulling me off him mm. and him leaving the house in the night. And me, I was just terrified that he, you know, he was so guilt-ridden about it all. That's the other thing. He was never... You know, he was he was just mortified that he that he did something like that, and he, there was never a moment where he justified it or anything like that. It wasn't mm -hmm. it wasn't like that. So I just knew that he just felt so much guilt, and I was just terrified that he was going to hurt himself or he was just, you mm -hmm. know, going to go and I was never going to see him again. Um, yeah, and then mum, you know, saying like you've got to stay with me. Your dad has to go, and he, you know, him sort of pulling me off him that whole scene and it was yeah it was really sad it was a really really sad time mm, okay and did you feel oh I should have just not said anything or anything like that actually I didn't think that I thought that um probably part of me thought if I never did that ironically I stopped playing piano and and the lady who my dad had the affair with she was equally mortified and tried to get me lessons with this other very good friend of hers who was a really, really sought after teacher and nobody could ever get into her. 
But of course, because of the situation, I couldn't keep learning from her. And she had got me into this friend of hers who was going to look after me. But I think ever since then, the connection to playing, playing that instrument just sort of, you know, it definitely played on my mind. If I had, if I didn't play piano and my dad wasn't taking me to lessons, it wouldn't have, I guess, created the environment for them mm. to to have that relationship and start that that relationship in. And so, yeah, I guess as a young girl, I did think, oh, if only I hadn't have done piano. It wasn't actually that I thought if I hadn't have told mom, I, I always felt that that's just had, it had to be that way. You know, mm-hmm. this, these lies couldn't go unsaid and um, the communication had to be out, um, which is probably my big sister too. She was like, this has got to stop sort of thing. She was a bit older than me. So, yeah. Yeah. Amazing that you both did that. It would have been so hard going up to your mum and, you know, actually saying those words and knowing that it's going to hurt her. Yeah, it's weird how you do things as a child and you don't, yeah, you don't even realise how brave you've got to be to do something. And then as an adult, you look back and think, oh, my gosh, I, I did that because you're right, actually going and saying that to her. I just remember her face so vividly and I, she was just in complete shock. She was, it was a, it was a complete blindside to her. So, yeah. So she had absolutely no idea. Absolutely no idea. And how long had it been going on for? Um, I think only a few months, but I think also that was probably indicative of of the breakdown in the relationship with my mum and dad that she, you know, I often look back and I think, no, how could you not know this was going on, Mm. you know? Where, where was your mind that you weren't in tune with communicating with your partner to know that, you know, he was definitely off and mm. there was definitely something happening. And, and I, you know, as an adult looking back on that situation, I can really genuinely see, yes, a hundred percent that my dad had, did, he did the wrong thing and he should have handled the situation a different way. But it re- I really am a strong believer that it takes two people to sort of get to that breaking point in a relationship, in a marriage, yeah. and that, that both parties are responsible for, you know, continuing that communication even when things are difficult. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you know when there's a disconnect between yourself and someone you do, else, you don't you? It's really strong, it. powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's fascinating too how we always find a way to blame ourselves in some way so you were like if only I didn't do piano yeah yeah it is it's so even as an adult we you know we do that as adults now it's sort of this trait that we seem to pick up as kids I suppose but yeah we carry it on into our adult lives and especially as women I think as women you know Josh is always encouraging me not to apologize and I'm always saying the word sorry all Mm -hmm. the time and I actually was in the supermarket yesterday and I noticed another woman just the same thing I think she said sorry in about three different places in the aisle and I thought why do we do that you know yeah. why do we all do that I bet that'll help you with um with it because you've heard it and realized how unnecessary it is yes but I think also we we use it as a word to put in place of just for lack of a better word we're mm. not sure what else to use in that place but it also takes away from the the um, depth of the word of saying sorry and when we really need to use that word for what it's meant for it it's lost a little because we use mm. it all the time mm. 
Um, I'm yet to find out what that other word is that we all need to know, <laughs> but when I find out, I'll let you know. <laughs> it's probably about a hundred different words. And the problem is our minds are so scattered with everything that we've got going on that, you know, it's easy just to have that default word rather than get the right yeah. word for the situation. Absolutely. Yeah. So how did it affect you at the time? Oh, I think I've definitely never felt so, oh, just so gutted. I guess. And at the time, and as you and I have spoken about beforehand, we, so rewind a little bit before that, we actually had the most beautiful childhood, you know, the perfect childhood. My parents were and still are to this day, the most amazing parents. And they gave us just this incredibly loving, caring, warm environment to grow up in. So I think part of the devastation was the absolute shell shock because it was such a juxtaposition to what we had known. There was no turmoil in our life before that point. Um, And we actually grew up in this little church uh, in Ulladulla. It's a little coastal town. And it was a really different church. So I actually grew up as an Adventist, a Seventh-day Adventist. So we went to church on Saturdays. And by nature Adventist churches are usually very conservative you know there's no people are usually vegetarian there's no alcohol it's it's quite straighty 180 vibes but I ended up in this beautiful church that was just so real and raw and genuine and just so different to most of the other churches that we you know associated with you know to the point where we we always hung out with this beautiful family and they would all go surfing just before church started, you know, then they'd park their surfboards and they'd come in in their boardies and we'd sit down and we just had this, it was a really beautiful family and it was this community and we were sort of encouraged to always ask questions and to push. And um, I guess even I remember some days having the pastor speaking, doing his sermon. And I suppose in a really, traditional church you would never interrupt the pastor or the priest or whatever church you go to but we were encouraged to you know if we had a question we were able to just say oh excuse me pastor mike could you just explain what you mean by that or Mm. i heard this so how come you're saying that or whatever so we i guess grew up with this really unique well-rounded um belief in god and also it sort of gave us that beautiful i guess loving and loving understanding of other people and everybody being at wherever they're at in life you know we never felt like oh we uh, you know we are the right people you know we yeah, have nice. way. Yeah. so it, it gave me that really grounded relationship with God and I, I never sort of I always as a kid I sort of said to Josh last night when I was actually talking to him about what I would speak with you about today I sort of said it's this kind of uncanny thing when I look back to my childhood and recognize where I felt such a closeness to God, but maybe I didn't really even recognize how special that was to have Mm -hmm. that, but that that pulled me through quite a lot of times. And it it was very obvious to me when, when mom and dad did break up, because I think for my sister and brother, you know, my sister was saying, Oh, but did you really feel that connected to God? You know? And I was saying to her yesterday, yeah, like as a young girl I felt genuinely like God just had me all the time and that even though my world was falling apart around me I knew that I was going to be okay and I always felt 
I guess loved is maybe the right word and cherished, I suppose, and amongst that turmoil. And for a young person to kind of get that concept, it was quite a special thing. Um, and it's something I really hope for my own my own children that they will just innately understand that. It's kind of a really hard thing to put into words, but yeah. So did your siblings not feel that? No, I don't think so. Since growing up, we've all become, especially my sister and I have become a lot closer and we do Bible studies over Zoom most Saturdays now together with our families as well. And, but I I think even her comment yesterday explaining that to me, I realized that, yeah, no, she probably didn't feel that. And it, she really went in a very different direction to what I did after that happened. You know, we both, we had all suffered this trauma and I sort of dealt with it one way and she had dealt with it in a completely the opposite way. And that is probably, you know, because of that and feeling just, just feeling lost and scared and alone and not having your parents when you need them Mm. and when they should have been there for you. It's that foundation that you just take for granted, isn't it? That you're used to having. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So you're saying you dealt with it one way, your sister dealt with another. What what were the differences? Well, I don't want to tell her story for her, um, but, you know, I just never got into any heavy partying or drinking or, you know, stressing out about being away. Um, yeah, I. so I think there's a few things that added to the way we dealt with things and one being that I had a really beautiful group of girlfriends too they were so supportive and loving and yeah I mean they were wild in their own times but I just never felt the need to go that way um and that sort of I've actually never drunk alcohol which is a really weird oh wow not once like not hit a sip Oh yeah, I've had a sip. Yeah, but, but you've never, never been a drinker. Never, no, yeah, like I've literally, I've never been drunk in my life, um, mm-hmm. which is not because of my faith necessarily. But I had a, I had a stomach issue when I was only about, I don't know, maybe fifteen. Mum or fourteen. Mum had decided to, you know, that sort of to get us all out of this headspace that we were in, feeling really sad that we would do something for other people. So she took us to the Solomon Islands to sort of do some missionary work over there. So on the way to that, uh, we were on the way to the airport to leave from Brisbane and I had an allergic reaction to a codeine tablet because I had like a cold or a flu or thing. And my mum, my mum's a nurse. And so she's a bit of a like pill popper. Yeah. (laughs) um, And she was like, here, take this cold flu tablet. You'll be fine, you know, toughen up. Yeah. And, and then my little brother was sitting next to me and he said, my eyes just started rolling back in my head and I started to pass out. And yeah. he was like, mom. And she's like, excuse me, I'm speaking because, you know, she was <laughs> yeah. in a conversation like, don't interrupt me. That's very rude. And he said, I just, I just fell. I said, mom, Steph is, something's wrong with Steph. And I was laid out on the floor and um, they stopped the bus and called an ambulance. And anyway, I'd had this reaction to this codeine tablet and it had, you know, long story short, it had caused pancreatitis in my system. But being my mom that she was, we went to the hospital. They did some tests, but the flight was leaving. We couldn't wait for the test results. It seemed like I had calmed down. So she was like, I think we'll just go on to the Solomon Islands anyway. Yeah. And so I was, you know, at the whim of whatever she felt. So I was like, okay. And so off we went. And 
when I was there, I didn't have any symptoms of pancreatitis. Actually, still to this day, don't know that much about it, except that it's incredibly painful. Mm -hmm. But I had no symptoms whatsoever for the two weeks we were there. And then the minute we touched down in Sydney, I just crashed, like had to be wheeled out of the airport in a wheelchair and was taken to hospital and spent the next two weeks in hospital dealing with this. And they were like, you know, we've tried to contact you. You've had pancreatitis. <laughs> total madness. So because of that, you know, experience, I had to have a whole lot of tests done and we found out that I had this hernia and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, all of which you can either go on medication for or you can treat with diet and not drinking alcohol. So that yeah. sort of led me at a very young age onto that path of ste steering clear of really unhealthy foods and, and alcohol in general. So that's sort of where it came from. And then as I got older, I was actually able to heal my stomach just by my lifestyle, which was incredible. And so technically I can drink now, but I just, yeah, I've just, I sort of got past that point of wanting to and um, yeah, ever needing to, I was sort of always the designated driver for everybody yeah. else. And I think that's why Josh maybe married me. Actually. <laughs> yeah, it's very handy, especially out in the country. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's that's sort of why. And then yeah, for my sister and brother, they they sort of went down that usual wild teenage road. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I mean, maybe it didn't have anything to do with that, but I sort of feel that I I did have this strong faith in God and I was really grounded and connected to him. And I just I know that I wasn't searching for something. And I think that's why as young people we do do these things because we're searching for validation or we're searching for, you know, whatever it is. And I just never had that need to do that, I guess. Wow, that's so amazing. So you it hasn't, you know, has it spilled over into any trust issues in later life or anything like that? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Really big time. Um, for a long time, and you know, Josh is really he's really big on communication and also getting to the bottom of the genuine reason why something might be happening. And I remember us having conversation after conversation and he would sort of say, babe, this has nothing to do with me. You know, this, I'm not your dad. You know, this is where our relationship is not your parents' relationship. Um, but I would sort of definitely have those trust issues happening. And he would sort of say to me, I've never given you a reason not to trust me. So, you know, we need to like work backwards from there. Like, where is this stemming from? And it would always stem back to everything with my dad. And I think control too. There was this, I think from that situation with my dad and the piano teacher, it was like, yes, if I could have done something differently, maybe we wouldn't be in this situation. So I developed this need. And I think this happens for a lot of women you know, you want to control things because you don't want things to go wrong. You, you want to make sure that everyone's okay. So I definitely developed that. And it was only really through um, Josh helping me get through that fire with him and not being personally offended himself, but understanding where it came from, that I was really able to come out the other side of that and start to let go of that fear and, and those trust issues and that control, always, always wanting that control. That's so special that you've been able to get that from your husband. You know, I'm just thinking about generational divorces and things. Likely if you had married someone that didn't have that same strength to 
analyze it and process it with you, mm. you know, it could have gone wrong. And do you ever look at your parents and think if they had different sets of commun- communication skills that could have worked out for them? Well, funnily enough, my dad always says it, it was just a lie that this little seed, you know, he said one day there was just this seed that was planted in his heart that that was a lie to him that his life could be better somewhere else and that it just grew. He said it just grew and all of a sudden I started to see all the problems instead of seeing all of the positives. And so it it was confirmation bias. You, you just see, I told you that mm-hmm. was happening. And then um, bumping into this woman and sort of, I suppose her also seeing an opportunity there. And then there was a big comparison game and it was on mm-hmm. in this, I would never do that what your wife does type, yeah. type thing. And, and dad just believed that and Mm -hmm. saw that as confirming what he already thought Mm -hmm. but he said to me I just wish that for everything I know now and everything he does know my dad's actually really so awesome at communication and self-help and um, he's probably been one of my biggest inspirations in life for wanting to push myself to go further and he's so entrepreneurially minded and he's so um, oh, he's so giving with his relationship and time. And he said, you know, sometimes I just wish I had a fought as hard as I do now for communication and understanding in my relationships mm-hmm. as I, you know, like, as, as I, like I should have fought that hard back then. Yeah. And maybe that would have made a difference. Um, but I think as well, it's personality too. Like my mum still to this day, isn't as communicative as my dad. And they mm-hmm. just are a completely different level like that. And even for me, that's a, that's a frustration that I can feel sometimes um, that I want to like have these really deep conversations with my mum that I know I can have with my dad, but she's just on a different level. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure that that you know it would help you know if if both parties want to have those conversations and want to be as open with each other as the other one does mm-hmm. and Josh and I are very lucky like that people kind of joke to us and say oh yes Josh and Steph they will talk it out like <laughs> over you know they're over communicators but um we both enjoy that so it's not really an effort for us but I know that's not always the case with with everybody mm-hmm. some people are matched one and then the other so yeah, I'm not sure if, if it, yeah, if they had better skills, maybe, but I'm sure personality comes into it too. Yeah, certainly. So moving to sort of your your life um, after that. So you were an actor. Mm-hmm. You're st- well, you still are really an actress, yeah, an actress. Very loosely, very loosely. <laughs> <laughs> and you met Josh in LA. Yeah, we did. We sort of both thought we wanted to be actors. And then we went to LA because we were chosen to be part of this sort of team from Australia that was going to study with the New York Film Academy for a little while, which was really exciting when I was young and, you know, going over there and being in Hollywood. And it's actually a really dirty place. I've never been somewhere where I kind of, I remember flying into LAX and then looking out the window and thinking, oh my gosh, we have to get out and breathe that in. Like it was 
And the airport's horrible, isn't it? Like the people in the airport, the staff. Yeah. It's not nice. No. And and there was a lot of, I don't know, everyone was just, yeah, it's kind of angry and Hmm. it wasn't a beautiful place to be. It was sort of like a dog-eat-dog place to be, I suppose. Um, Yeah, and so we we met there and we kind of got to know each other a bit, but we weren't going out because I was actually, (laughs) I told this in Motherland Australia the other day. I was actually a guy. Um, but I really kind of fancied Josh and we had been on the rocks for a very long time, this other guy, but I, because of what had happened with my parents, I was very much like, there is no way that this can go any further than just, you know, being friends. And so we didn't speak for another, maybe six months after we got home. And then, yeah, eventually I sort of had broken off with this guy when I did get back home. Um, and yeah, about half a year later or a year later, something, it's all foggy now, but yeah. (laughs) Josh, Josh reached out to me via email and said, <laughs> so romantic. <laughs> so romantic. Yeah. And then, yeah, well, the other part was romantic because he had lost his license. And when I said, yes, I was free and I wasn't seeing anyone. And he said, okay, well, I'm going to come down and see you. And it was, I think, a 12 hour train ride from where he lives <laughs> down to the sort of narrow area where I grew up and the closest train station was, um, and so he did that and then took me out to a steak restaurant, of course, yeah. <laughs> in the true farmer that he is. Yeah. So- he was wanting to get into acting and then now he has ended up on the family farm. Is yeah. that what, it, what he expected? or? Um, yeah, I think, I think so. He sort of, he had done, he's actually one of those actors that was just born for the stage. Like he's so good on the stage and he can throw any accent you ask him to do and He's, yeah, and he just, he's never been shy in front of a camera or anything like that. So he would just, he loves it, absolutely loves it. And, but also, you know, we both had sort of agents and we were both trying our hand at acting. We'd done a few jobs and he'd been on Home and Away for a little stint. And Oh, hey, um, wow. You know, his, his character's name was Bondi, I think. Which I'll have is to look it up. Funny. And, oh, um, yeah, and so we sort of had both been in that world a little bit, but we both started to realise that it just really wasn't for us. Like I think if you're going to go into acting, it has to be your everything and you have to – we've actually still got a friend who we went to LA with who is really successful now and she's still doing it. Um, but, you know, it's her whole life and she puts so much effort and time into what she does. Um, but we – yeah, I think we just realized, okay, we're not as dedicated as we thought we were. <laughs> so we love it, but we don't know if we love it that much yeah. to, to, you know, sacrifice everything you have to, to be in that career. And um, yeah. And so we decided to go back to our original plans, which for me was teaching and for him was farming. Nice. Nice. And so when you met him in LA, I bet the last thing you were thinking was you're going to end up on a farm Describe to us where it is because it's an hour from the nearest town, correct? Yeah, it's about 80 kilometers from the nearest town. And no, I did not realize. <laughs> I, I actually had zero geographical understanding of where he lived. <laughs> and so we did this incredibly long distance relationship for, you know, four, four years or something, four or five years. Um, and yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't really... I guess I just didn't picture it. And then when I did picture it, I thought it was like Hunter Valley vibes, not yeah. 
middle of nowhere dust bowl vibes. And for those people who are listening in New Zealand, Hunter Valley is, I don't know, do you have an equivalent in New Zealand? It's kind of like Marlborough. It's vineyards, isn't it? Yeah, beautiful yeah. vineyards, just rolling hills, beautiful place, like horses, little stables, vineyards everywhere and just, just you know, a temperate climate. Everything sort of grows and it's lovely. And anyway, it's all beautiful. And I kind of thought, yes, a lovely farm, right? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. Then I came out here and I was like, oh, okay. So broad acre farming is a little bit different to what I realized. And I was just so fresh. I just had no idea what it would be like out here. Um, but I actually fell in love with it. I fell head over heels very deeply in love with the land and being out here and the people, the people are the best, mm. especially in our little town. We just have the most incredible group of young men and women who are just doing life and they all want what's best for each other and it is so awesome to be a part of that there's never been any of that like clickiness or feeling left out like it's just such a beautiful town like that that's so nice yeah that's amazing so what has you know what has there been challenges oh yeah I mean (laughs) the drought where should we start (laughs) Yeah. yeah I mean there's always challenges but no, okay. I tell a lie. I was going to say, but you know, as long as you're sort of happy, then that's fine. But no, I will think on that question a little bit more because I remember getting home from holidays. We'd been away. We always actually holiday with Josh's family in Noosa area every year. And Julia is my mother-in-law and she's just like the best person ever. And we're really good friends. So we go away together. We have this amazing time. And then we came home to a dust storm, which we'd been having a lot of, but the juxtaposition of just being on the coast and everything being so easy and clean and then arriving home after, you know, a couple of weeks away and just like dust piles, you know, in in my veranda and, you know, a little crack in the door because my house doesn't sort of like join correctly and then just the dust that was on the floor and through everything, like just through everything, like the pots and the pans and and. I just called her and I was like, how do you do this? Like, <laughs> She was like, you just pick yourself up, you get the leaf blower and you just start cleaning and you'll feel better once you've freshened it up, you know? Um, but that was so taxing. I, I think the, well, it's the consistency of the harshness of the environment that you live in, that you feel like it's just kind of beating you down all the time that's quite wearing you know like your skin dries out so much because it's so drying out there and the water is harsh and then you know during this during the dust storms that was just that were happening every day and you were like should I bother to clean off the veranda today (laughs) tomorrow but then of course the the kids would traipse in all the dust and I had babies at the time and they were just crawling through it and eating it and it was just it was everywhere just everywhere and then there'll be that you know portion of your life somehow breaks and that you know the rain comes and it's over and then there's a mouse plague and then everyone's (laughs) like oh my gosh you know it's the next thing and yeah it's sort of the way that I started to see the humor in where we lived and what we were exposed to because I couldn't believe the extremities that we were having to deal with every day and I guess maybe it was part of my coping mechanism was then to start just having a laugh about it yeah. and 
to just realize, hey, this is actually quite funny that this is what we are dealing with. And that some people have no idea what the rural communities in Australia might be going through. So it was a fun sort of way of, I guess, spreading some awareness, but also just taking a load off and having a laugh and connecting with other women who I knew were going through the same thing. Yeah, I remember when I um, first came across one of your reels on Instagram and it was the one where you were off to town and you had to get, and your husband's like, town you're going to town hold on I'll just see what the neighbors want and it's just so relatable yeah so it's so funny. and it was actually my sister that gave me the idea because you know I was saying to her because I had started this affiliate marketing business and they teach personal branding and I was like what's my personal brand you know what's my thing how can I sort of give back a bit or serve or you know just offer something for people and she was like it's just your life stuff like, yeah it's so bizarre. And I was like, what do you mean? She said, okay, yesterday you told me you had a baby brown snake in your hallway. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Okay. I see what you mean. She's like, that's crazy. Like that's not yeah. more people in Australia are not dealing with this, you know, or even I am shocked when some people reach out to me. Cause of course I end up talking to a lot of beautiful women, which I absolutely adore when other women say to me, oh my gosh, I feel so seen today, you know, cause I saw this. But then there's women in the Northern Territory that will reach out to me and they will say, yeah, no, we have like a crop proof fence. Yeah, that's literally like, well, wasn't it? <laughs> so that to me, like, you know, we're dealing with the brown snakes or we're dealing with the mouse plagues, but oh my goodness, the crocodiles, no, I just. Yeah, no, could not. <laughs> Amazing. I'm just going to backtrack you a wee bit. And I know you spoke about it on the Motherland part podcast so I'm wondering if you're happy to talk about it today you had a point where you realized that you just weren't coping yeah I did I just shared this um I wasn't coping when I think all of those other things are quite doable when you don't have kids but when you start to throw children into the mix Mm. all of a sudden you think oh my gosh what is happening here and yeah, I was. Do you want me to share the same story that I that I told? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Um, so I think I was just talking about the fact that I had my first baby, Katie, and she was a pretty easy bub. Um, and I did feel a little bit isolated and a little bit, uh, I guess, disappointed that I couldn't just call my mom. My mom's about 10 hours from where I live and say, Mom, like, just come and live with me, please, for the next three months to help me through this. So I definitely felt that isolation there when I had my first, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't too drastic and, you know, it was just one baby and, you know, she was a good sleeper. So everything kind of chugged along. And my sister in the meantime was having this absolutely terrible time with her um, baby who was only two weeks older than Katie. And, you know, he wouldn't take a dummy. And I was like, you're just not trying hard enough, clearly. It was so easy. I was like, oh, Josh, I don't know what she's doing, but, you know, in my smug ways. And then the universe was like, well, I think you need a little challenge. (laughs) (laughs) I had my second daughter, Emmy, and she was just one of those babies. Like you just, you couldn't put her down. She wouldn't take a dummy. She had reflux. I had her in one of those um, hug above things where you strap them to your chest, the material ones, and she just lived there all the time. And so my back was always killing And it was just, I felt like I was doing this on my own constantly Mm. because 
the boys just were needed on the farm round the clock. So Josh works with his dad and his brother. And I mean, at the time it was just him and his dad. So, you know, they were sharing the load of the whole farm and they didn't have, we didn't have any workers or anything. They were doing everything and they were just doing everything all the time. So Josh would be gone first thing in the morning and home after dark every night. And I suppose there was lapses in the day, very small downtimes where maybe the babies were asleep or something. And I would always be grappling with that. Oh, should I do the washing or should I get some sleep or should I clean the kitchen or should I cook something or like, should I go to sleep? And just remember feeling like, oh my gosh, there's just, there's not enough of me. There's not enough hands. I don't have enough of the mental capacity, physical capacity, all of it. I was just so emotionally drained on every level. And then one night, Katie, I had noticed that she was starting to sort of muck up a little bit going to sleep. And she was usually a very good sleeper, as I said. And all of a sudden, of course, when Emmy was born, that changed. But I think as a new mum, and I sort of also didn't have exposure to anything. Like I I wasn't listening to podcasts. I didn't have social media. I wasn't sort of, um, I don't know, sometimes now I feel like you go past things and people will say, hey, this is a red flag if your toddler is, you know, upset when you've got a newborn, that's really normal, they're feeling separated from you, blah, blah, blah. But I just didn't have any information about that. So I just thought she was being naughty. I just thought she was being a toddler, she was being naughty. And I remember one night holding her in her bedroom with the door shut with my foot and then I was standing up and breastfeeding Emmy and I was just trying to keep Katie in her room and really, when I think back to it, uh, she just wanted to be close to me. That's mm-hmm. all she wanted. But I just felt like, no, no, you have to go to bed so that yeah. I can get this other screaming That's baby. That's the routine, isn't it? You just you have to do the routine. Mm. And, you know, and you're like, you have all this stuff that you like, I, you know, you intend to, to do it. And then when you're pushed in those moments, you think, you know, don't, don't let her get the better of you or don't lapse in your routine and all this kind of stuff. And so I was... Yeah, I was just in this moment where I was like, this is complete chaos. It was total bedlam. Katie was screaming. I was yelling at her to go to bed and I was trying to breastfeed Emma and she wouldn't latch properly and she was screaming and it was just a mess. It was a total mess. And then uh, probably about 10 or 15 minutes of me holding my foot on the door and Katie doesn't give up very easily for things. She just curled up on her little bedside table which sits like as close to the door as it can. And she fell asleep like this little turtle on the table. And I remember opening the door and just being, I just started sobbing because I was like, Mm. she wanted to be next to me. And there she was just curled Mm. up on this table. And she was just such a wee bubba. And I had no idea of the emotional turmoil that she was going through. And I hadn't recognized it. And I just wasn't in a place to recognize it. And I actually still think to this day that she has or it's it's getting better now because we've really started intentionally working on that connection with her. But I think for a long time she had some sort of separation anxiety going on from that night, you know, that I remember that night and I think, oh, my gosh, I I caused that, you know. And as a mum, and I know so many of us have done things where we think, oh, I can't believe I just did that or whatever it is. But it's really hard to, you know, not beat yourself up for that because you you, you want to be the best mum you can be 
anyway, so so I was in that place and I actually remember putting Emmy down. Thankfully, I had heard something. But one of my friends had said to me, like, if your baby won't stop crying and you're just not coping, just put them in the cot where they're safe. They can cry it out and you just go and have a shower. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting in the shower and just breaking down and being so upset and saying to myself, not that I did feel this for Emma, but I I actually in that moment understood how women get to that point of just breaking point or they shake their babies or they, mm. you know, they do something silly because you're so emotionally drained, you're sleep deprived, mm. your hormones are all over the place. There's all of these things happening for you and you just, you know, and unfortunately then it would come out on the little person that's the mm. cause of all of this stuff, you know. And so I just remember taking that moment and thinking, oh, my gosh, this is how that happens. Mm-hmm. So when Josh got home, I knew that I had to ask for help. I knew that I had to say, this is so important. You either, you've got to be here with me or you, you need to get somebody who can be here with me if you're not able to because mm-hmm. of work, because I'm not coping. And I'm putting my hand up and saying, tonight I got to a really bad place and it was not nice and I don't feel, I didn't like feeling like that and I, I never want to feel that again. So I need some help. Mm. And thankfully, you know, as I have sort of expressed in the beginning, Josh is a really understanding and really loving guy and he maybe he didn't necessarily fully understand where I was at but at no point did he make me feel like I was, you know, crazy for asking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, we started just the process of looking for a nanny and organizing someone to come and help, which was a godsend because it was just a second pair of hands and just company too. Mm-hmm. That was the other thing that I didn't say the other day was having somebody else in the house on those long days where I was with a toddler and a newborn. It was really beautiful to have another mm-hmm. lady there who was just a friend to me and helped me out, held the baby when I was cooking or whatever. It was really special and it sort of made me think back to the way they used to do things, you know, in, in that village mentality. And I thought, yeah, that's so sad that we don't have that anymore, that mm. we're obsessed with this nuclear thing because, you know, a village to raise the babies together is now, now I see the value in that so much. Yeah. And I was thinking when you're describing this, thinking about generational stuff, like our husbands grew up with their fathers out at work all day but they did have more of a village. Yeah. So whereas this next generation, they're out working all day, but then we're left. Yeah. And I'm sure, I'm sure our mums were left a lot as well. Yeah. I think life was a bit slower too. Yeah. Didn't have so many other things to do, did we? Did they? Compared to what we, the pressure we put ourselves on. Yeah. I really did freak out that when, you know, because we're in a farming family situation and I, I, my first instinct when Josh said to me, okay, like we'll get you a nanny. I just was like, oh my gosh, what's your dad going to think? Mm. Like that's, the first, that's where my mind went. And and it's not because, you know, that he's unkind or anything. He's such a beautiful man, but I knew that he would just kind of genuinely not get it. Mm. You know, he would be, you know, sort of coming from that place of, no, I don't understand that. You know, Julia never had a nanny. So mm. why would a nanny? And, um, but, you know, Jules would always say to me, life was slower. And no, Ted wasn't there during the day and there would be, you know, big stints of time where he was away. But they also had this really beautiful tradition that they did every day where they actually didn't sort of have a bathroom, but they had a ball out in the paddock. And so they would actually go every night 
all as a family and they'd go to the bore to have their bath. Nice. So the mum, the dad, their three boys all together to do this thing and they did that every, you know, while, they, while the boys were little, they did that every night together. So they really had that family connection time mm-hmm. and Ted was able to be there in that way. And he was so present in the boys' lives and the boys were also able to go and work with him every day too. They were at his side working with their dad, learning their skills. And I think that obviously in turn would have given Jules a lot of space and also being so incredibly important for those young boys growing up. Mm. But today, you know, we've got a, a couple of workers, we've got, you know, that that much more machinery and the workplace to me is not just one person in, one person out. It's multiple people that don't necessarily know what each other's doing and the safety factor really mm. comes into it for kids being on the land. Yeah. Beforehand, it was like dad and son and, they, mm-hmm. you know, he was keeping an eye on him and, yes, accidents happened and all of that, but there, there really was a slower time and people were not, like, making multiple phone calls and mm directing trucks and all these kind of thing that goes on now where it's go, 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 go all the time. And so I guess, yeah, they did get that beautiful experience of being really able to be raised by their dads Mm. and be at their dad's feet and learning. I also feel that dads now have a lot more pressure to be involved in kids' sports and all their other stuff as well. So they're having to cram a lot into their days so that they can then be present elsewhere. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I was actually telling Josh the other day, we've got a beautiful couple who live in town and they're both of them actually taught the soccer at our local school. And I was amazed. Like I said to Josh, I don't know where they fit this in. It's so beautiful that they're doing this and they're there with their, you know, with my children, Mm. you know, and that dad was organizing himself and organizing his work enough so that he was able to take every Friday or whatever it was that they did to be fully in town all day, which is a huge thing for farmers. And it's also largely unheard of in my um, father-in-law's generation. Mm, Yeah. And I, and I do, I think it is a really positive thing, but I think as well, like you say, it's probably just, you know, it is adding pressure. Mm as well but I think Josh would also point out too that it's so important that we change the culture of being a slave to the farm forever and that if we don't take those moments now that they're never coming back and I spoke to a lady last night who reached out to me to just say that she actually lost her five-year-old little boy Patty to brain cancer when he was only five and she said we will never get the time back, you know, and my husband will never get the time back that he had to spend away from Patty mm. while he was working on the farm and a slave to the farm. Mm. And so I do celebrate so much the dads in this generation for their boldness to break that mm. culture that has been so strong to to fight to spend that time with their kids if it isn't able to be on the farm as it may traditionally have been. Yeah, I agree. It's amazing. Okay. I might just swing back to your faith a bit more. Mm-hmm. I guess it's it's not as common as it used to be to have a strong faith. Is it, um, what's it like having such a strong faith in society nowadays where it's, you know, not like it used to be? Yeah, that is such a great question. And something that 
I think can be described in two ways. When I was at school, I went to a Christian school. And so that was quite normal. But in year 11 and 12, when I left, I went to a public school. And what I found was because I was quite convicted in my faith, but also at the same time, not judging of anyone else's walk and where they were, people respected that. Mm. Um, And I didn't feel any, I mean, people teased me a bit sometimes, but I guess got over it quickly when they saw that I wasn't too deterred. It was like, you know, whatever, like I'm doing my thing, you do your thing. It's it's whatever. Um, And then there came to be this beautiful respect, I guess, just around that. But it was probably largely because of my conviction and they just knew that it wasn't moving from there. It wasn't a shallow thing. It was was very deep for me. But the biggest challenge for me as an adult has been sharing about my faith, especially on my social media page. Mm -hmm. And in America, I follow quite a few American girls and I am always challenged by how open they are about the fact that they love Jesus. You know, it's like this. I think there's a lot more religious people in the States than there is in New Zealand and Australia. Am I right? A hundred percent. I'm sure you are because it is, I don't know. It's like, it's, it's so okay to talk about over there. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to get chopped down but in Australia and New Zealand I really feel that yeah if you pop your head up on that one expect some flack coming to you because yeah. people are either I don't I don't know what it is but either people are challenged by it or they automatically assume you're going to be judgmental mm-hmm. um, maybe because of a bad experience that they've had in life and so speaking openly about it on my social media page has been a big challenge to me but I took sort of I guess my courage from these girls that I follow in America and thought, okay, like if they can share about their faith, so can I. And what is incredible is that as I have been a little more brave to talk about my faith, the amount of people who have come out of the woodworks and have contacted me and just said, oh, thank you for sharing that or thanks for being brave enough to talk about your faith, whatever, it's been so encouraging so I think maybe we feel as though there is this taboo thing around being Christian or having this faith when in actual fact I've had such a positive response and only you know people asking me to pray for them or just to pray over their families their situation that they might be in whatever it might be and to me that's just so beautiful and so encouraging to have sort of this like collective I guess power in that belief together so for me I grew up going to church on Sundays and then it just sort of eventually just sort of as we did more sports and stuff we didn't go and my mum just goes at Christmas now you know and I think it's quite common in a lot of families so for example my grandmother is a lot more religious than my mum and so on um so I wouldn't call myself religious I don't go to church I'm just so you know where I'm coming from with it and I think growing up I would sometimes think that it was weird people that were or dorky people uncool people and so what I quite like is that you're a confident funny outgoing person who can relate to on so many things and that you're sharing it it really gives another nice perspective for people to learn more about it oh thank you get rid of those stereotypes yeah 
And I think too, I mean, you touched on sort of that religious side and I guess for Josh and I, when we first got married, we only really thought about two things. It was God and smoking. So I have a real beef with smoking, <laughs> a real beef. <laughs> My mom's a heart nurse and she used to work in ICU and, you know, so I have heard all the stories and all yeah. the lungs and all the hearts that have died from smoking. And I just, I've ne- it has never sat well with me. So he likes to have a few cheeky cigarettes from time to time. Yeah. Still does to this day. Uh, but it's a lot less than it used to be. But, and then there was the other thing we always thought about was God. And when I say thought about it, just we were both so passionate about it. We were so just he's religious as well? <clears throat> well, he grew up with his dad reading the Bible to them, but they never went to church. And so obviously I grew up in a church. And so I was sort of like, oh, well, we've got to go to church with our kids, how are we bringing up our children? That was another big thing. I was always taught the importance of being on the same page with somebody else when it comes to your faith. And, you know, you're obviously not going to um, have an easy time of it if, you know, you're a Muslim and you're a Christian and you're trying to marry those two faiths together because they don't, you know, live harmoniously side by side. So I guess I sort of, that was always very important in my mind that not so much for myself, but I knew that when it came to my children, I wanted to bring them up to know God. And it was important to me that I knew that I was with somebody who valued the same things. We did both value God and we both valued our relationship with God, but we just saw things a little bit differently. So we had to work that out. And what is beautiful and what I learned and so did he is that I guess we both took something from each other in our experience. So I wasn't, and as I said, that I had gone to a very, you know, sort of casual church. So I wasn't religious, as I would say, like, you know, when my my daughters go to a Catholic school and to me, I see a lot of religiosity there. You know, there's all the, the things that are done on rote, the prayers that are read, the Hail Marys, the counting of the rosary beads. There's all these things that are rote. Um, and to me, that's, you know, that's religion. Whereas I find a freedom in my faith in God outside of that. And that is something that I came to as part of my influence of being married to a man who didn't go to church and challenged my ideals around that. Mm -hmm. So we met in the middle and we ended up with this beautiful thing that we now do with our kids called Fireside Chat. And on a Saturday morning, we will light the fire and we sit around the fire together with our kids and we just teach them Bible stories and we teach them about God and we talk about life and we have this beautiful, you know, open discussion about all, all kinds of things. And so, I, so you know, that word religious, I think, has a certain connotation to mm-hmm. it for a lot of people. But I think what people should understand and what I would love for people to know is that being religious is, is sort of in its own lane to me. And having a faith in God and a relationship with God can absolutely exist outside of that. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like people say, oh, they're religious, as though that's all they do and it's all the only facet of them instead of like what you're saying, you have a faith and it's part of who you are, but it, it doesn't consume you. Yeah, I mean, I think in a way, well, in a way it consumes me because 
it's how I view the world and it's how I live my life and I, I, I constantly have a conversation with God and in the, in the morning I wake up and I read my Bible and so does Josh. But it's not at the expense of the love of one another and the love of people. And, you know, I've just been reading this morning in Romans about the Pharisees and the obsession with the law and turning people away from God because of the obsession with the religious side mm. of things. And it's almost like tick box, isn't it? It's like Absolutely. so many people just going through the motions because that's what they're meant to do. Yeah, we do that, yeah. we do that, we do that, tick, tick, tick. Yeah, like I was always so, I always have such a giggle when I do go to mass with my kids and I know, you know, and I see, I know that some of the dads are Catholic by, you know, they were born into Catholic families. And I remember kneeling one day and Josh said that he just did a little, asked one of them a question and one of the guys was like, no, I can't talk to you, I'm in church. Yeah. And Josh was like, you got wasted last night, dude. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just break a little rule. what (laughs) really funny thing that we do when we kind of follow these rules because we feel like it's something that we can do that helps our faith in God and you know I would say that is the whole point of the gospel is God is saying it's not on you it's my interest in you it's my love for you it's what I did for you it has nothing to do with ticking your boxes and you know all of this. So yeah, it's a really special thing. And it does um, play, I wouldn't say it plays a huge role in our life. It just, it is part of our lives. Um, But it, I guess it just, to me, it just enhances everything that we do from a place of love rather than a place of judgment or, Yeah. yeah. It sounds to me, it's almost like a really positive mindset. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Except I feel as though there's maybe a little bit of, um, I don't want to make it make it an insensitive joke, but like a, not a cockiness that comes with it. But I do always joke with my friends that I've got this thing where a lot of the women I work with are really big on the universe, and they and for lack of a better word, they worship the universe. It's mm-hmm. like you know, Mother Nature, Mama Universe. She she's organizing everything. She's and they kind of talk to me about this and I say that's cool like you have got your universe thing I just worship the God who created that yeah you know that's kind of how I feel I feel that God he's so much bigger than we kind of give him credit for and we tend to put him in this box and we say oh he is like this and he is like that and and only this is okay and only that is okay and I, I truly believe that he is so much greater than we can even fathom that there is this wonderful knowing that comes from being connected to him in this you know very very much like in a life force time I guess in lots of ways those friends who are worshiping the universe that's their faith isn't it it's just a different type of faith a different just yeah different way of having something greater than you that's that's, right yeah yeah exactly and I and I love working with those women and they in turn have taught me so much if if nothing else I think one of the best things that a lot of my friends have taught me is the incredible power that is in nature and how we've ignored it for so long and I have appreciated that so much because I think because in the Christian faith you know we're sort of taught that 
we are stewards of the earth, but that the earth is there to be our home and to serve us, we can tend to sort of forget the incredible little idiosyncrasies that happen within nature and how much we can learn from that, Mm. you know? So they've really taught me so much about that side of things, which has been such a gift. um, And I've loved working with them because of that. Awesome. I had an amazing um, therapy session this morning and, um, the lady I'm, I'm seeing see two different ladies but this lady is getting me to go outside for up to 20 minutes and just you know grounding have my feet connected to the earth um yes. so that's something I'm wanting to add to my life at the moment yeah well I actually work really closely with this beautiful woman named Hannah Plummer and yesterday when she knew that Katie had had this head injury and she knew that I was feeling a bit stressed she said to me I know that you've got a lot on but just quickly, if you can run outside and put your feet on the ground. Mm. She always reminds me of how important it is to connect yourself to the earth and to be grounded. And I've seen this fantastic video of a guy who actually tests the charge in his body when he's off the ground and then when he puts his feet on the ground and how much of a difference it is. It's so real and you you think it's not, but it's so incredibly, we're so incredibly connected and interwoven with nature and yeah, she's just such a legend because she's taught me to really appreciate that and understand it a lot more. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, yeah, grounding myself more. And there's so much more out there, isn't there, than what we what we really know. I'm just wondering if you'd be happy to just touch on, now we've spoken about this, I have a child with ASD, um, you have a child with neurodiversity of some form? Yeah. Yeah, how is that going? you know, from your perspective rather than her story, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I think I'm still very much on that journey of working out how to best support her. Mm -hmm. And I would say, you know, as you and I have chatted about before, she's very high functioning. She's very mild in that sort of way of having difficulties. So much so that when I have, I guess, reached out for help, people kind of think I'm crazy mm-hmm. because she doesn't really give too many indications, too many indicators of being severely on the spectrum. But there are things that I noticed because I, before I um, came back to being on the farm full time, I worked in the special education unit at my local school. So I had a lot of experience with kids, um, you know, with all kinds of, learning difficulties or being in within um, these disorders. And there, when she was a very, very little baby, I thought, oh, that's unusual that she's doing that. That's very like this or very like mm-hmm. that. So it always was there in my mind, but everyone just kind of always thought I was just, you know, overthinking it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And so I'm still working out how best to support her. And I've actually just been in contact with this beautiful woman who's an opera singer, funnily enough. and she develops these for kids that are anywhere on the spectrum or have any sort of um, learning difficulties or any any disorders she sort of works very closely with them with music and they develop a song together in order to help them in those moments that they have where they're very emotionally unstable and I just I love this because I have a musical background and when she told me about it I thought oh maybe that's something that I can do for Emmy. So I'm just starting to work 
with her and start that process happening because the thing with her is that she can be completely fine 90% of the time but then when she goes to put her socks on there there is such an emotional breakdown and such a horrible feeling for her Mm. and and that she will you know punch herself or hit herself on the ground and it's so devastating to see Mm -hmm. and I've sort of really struggled with my own skills of how to move her through those um, times and you know when she was very young I'm horrified to say that you know when she would do that I genuinely thought she was just throwing a tantrum because she didn't want to put her socks on Mm -hmm. you know so she would get a smack or a serious scolding or whatever and I never yeah I never had the skills to help her through that and it's very triggering I think when you know everyone's in a rush and Mm. Yeah, and so it, it often happens for us most more. She is she is actually getting a lot better as she gets a bit older because she's probably able to verbally express what's going on. And we have a few little routines where she says, Mom, I'm getting that feeling again and we count to 10 and we do some breathing and I massage her legs for her and um, she's able to calm down. But if she's overtired or she's not well, she's a little bit run down, there's just nothing that's going to bring her back. Um yeah, and so I I do feel a little bit I feel a little bit lost with it still mm. actually. I'll send you a link to because um, we're just changing providers that we use for my daughter's you know extra therapy and support and behaviour management that sort of thing. I'll send you a link to this awesome company I found. Be worth a worth a look. Oh, thank you. That would be awesome. They might just you know be able to meet up with them by Zoom once a month or something, and they can give you some help and support or a couple of times a month. Yeah, I think just having a few um, practical pointers, you know, it's not that I want to change anything for her. It's actually more about me learning. Yeah, to make her life easier. And because doing the right thing or responding in the right way changes everything, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I know even when I'm very aware and I'm very onto it and I respond in a certain way, the difference that it makes is Mm -hmm. tenfold to when I just snap and I'm Mm -hmm. like, just, you know, do this. And then she feels so misunderstood and so devastated that I would not get it, you mm. know. And it's only that I'm, you know, sort of maybe at the end of my tether one day and I and I don't respond accordingly. So you you can see the value in learning the, a few skills just for yourself as a mum to be able to respond well in those situations. And I think it makes all the difference. Is it just sensory or does she need, um, does she like to have schedules and that sort of thing, like to know exactly what's happening? She doesn't cope well if things change, but she's not super regimented in a schedule. But if I say we're doing something and then we don't do it, she becomes really upset. But her main thing is sensory, really, really sensory. Or, for example, I sing her the same song to wake her up every morning. And if I don't sing her Mm. the song, she gets really, really hurt. She's really upset. Yeah. Um, So just a tip there, if plans change, write it down for her. She'll be able to process and when she is really stressed out and you're doing things because um, people on the spectrum have really inferior auditory processing system. Yeah. So their visual processing is really strong, like stronger than Mm. someone that's neurotypical, but the auditory is under. So if you can write stuff down. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense for her because she draws everything, like everything. And when she feels something, she's able to draw it very well and communicate through through drawing or painting. So maybe I can in turn communicate back to her in that way. Yeah, yeah that's so fascinating. And Thank sometimes you. it could just be 
one simple word written down. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because she she can't read a whole. She's she's in year one, so she's getting there with her. Okay, reading. we'll do a picture then of yeah, that pic- one word. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So for example, my daughter is struggling with having turns to talk. Like, so she's wanting to talk when my other daughter's talking. So we hold up a sign that says, not your turn to talk. And it's got a picture of a girl talking with a cross through it. And so she sees that and she can process that. And then she She waits and then can talk. But if she's and heightened and wants to say something you're just saying not now it's all too much and it's yeah and they get really upset because they feel like you just listen to them oh that's really good I'm gonna do that with all three of my children actually yeah (laughs) Yeah, that's true because you know everyone has different strengths too with how they process don't they okay one more thing I knew it was going to be a while because my list of things to talk to you about was like the longest I've ever had um affiliate marketing so oh, yeah, tell yeah. us about that. What is it? Well, in a little nutshell, I guess, it's just when you affiliate with somebody else's product and then you take a commission for selling that product, which to me was perfect because I didn't sort of want the risk of a startup or, you know, having a lounge room full of boxes of things and whatnot. So yeah. it sort of was the perfect option for me to have as a business where I didn't have to have the risk but I just kind of got to do the front end. Yeah. So what confuses me though, is you're not often advertising products on your platform. No. So where do people buy so the things? I think you can choose to run the business in a couple of ways. Like you can imagine it like, um, you can imagine it like a Thermomix, I suppose. Yeah. And if you wanted to lead with the product, which sometimes I will share about the water, so the company that we affiliate with is Enagic. So they have a water ionizer, which is an incredible machine that sort of basically brings your water back to life. And especially for me, because I have rainwater, so it sits in my rainwater tank for like years and it's just, it's dead water basically. So there's it, there's that, but then it also does all this other really amazing stuff where it splits the pH of your water and you can use the different waters for all these different things. So you can essentially, you know, eliminate you need for any other chemicals in your home and blah, blah, blah. But so you can lead with that. So there's a few women in the business who choose to lead with that, um, the product basically. But for me, because I sort of started with my page on, you know, with my personal brand about the farming and and I just, I didn't want to clog up my page with talking about mm. a product. Because well, then I, you don't get the engagement. It doesn't grow. Because, yeah, well, yeah. I don't like that idea of just selling to people all the time for something that they they already they follow me because of my content with the farm, mm. not because of my content about my water products. Mm. So I'll only my basically my ratio is about you know I mean like maybe three to one or something. Like I might do three pieces of content a week about my farming life, and then one piece of content about affiliate marketing and the opportunity that it is. And then I'll have that conversation with people behind closed doors. Okay. So in other words, you're getting people on board your team that sell it and then you take cuts off that. You're not necessarily selling the product or you do? No, no, I do sell the product. Yeah. No, it's only the product. Like if anyone, Sorry. but someone might say, yeah, they might What not is it that you sell? What is yeah, it? You, tell, you have this water ionizer and they might say, look, I either, either they love the product and they think, yeah, actually I just want the product. Or they say, 
no, actually, I'd like to do this as a business. But of course, you need to own the product because you you need to know what you're selling. Mm -hmm. So you have to own a product to be able to then have the direct sales rights or resale resale rights. And so either they are coming in because they just like the product and they want the product for themselves. They might not do the business. And I didn't do the business for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And then I decided, oh, yeah, I think I could really make a go of this. And Mm -hmm. it's such a sort of low risk um, opportunity for me that if it doesn't work, oh, well, I've got this amazing product. If it does, amazing. I'm making a commission off, um, off selling it. So I sort of, I tend to lead more with the opportunity that affiliate marketing is anyway. Like, and I I suppose you see it a lot on Instagram. People talk about affiliate marketing, but then everyone's backed by a different thing. Mm -hmm. There's lots of different options with that. And it might be affiliate marketing too. Like some people sell a course or some people sell whatever, or, you know, some people connected to Amazon, for example, and they, but then they teach you about how to do that. Cool. And your Instagram page is so cool. And that's always going to be, it's grown so much in the last like six months. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Actually, sort of, they say that that happens sometimes, you know, like it takes time for the algorithm to sort of find you and then it just explodes which is what's just recently happened which has been really exciting and you come up with so many different things and you're obviously just inspired by what's around you but yeah is it ever hard to come up with ideas no because it's literally (laughs) my life (laughs) I mean sometimes I'll say to Josh oh I've really got to you know I want to make I want to make a reel and then I'll sort of say but what can I do today and then it dawns on me, like just yesterday, that constantly he'll say to me how excited he gets about, no, he doesn't say it. He'll say, oh, my gosh, this is so interesting. And he's looking at another piece of machinery. Yeah, yeah. Every time he does that, I check out. I, I completely, I'm like, I'm not interested. Yeah. I want to talk to you. And I'll literally walk off or I'll just be like, I'm not here. And And so, you know, I think they're in more places than I realize. And when I sit down, I think, oh, I, I want to make a piece of content because I maybe I haven't made something. It just, I just have to think back through my day. Yeah. And I go, well, what was, you know, what is a bit funny about that or what's a little bit interesting about the way that we live our lives? And I'll just add that. Yeah. Like my next one I'm going to do is about washing machines because I'm so excited because I just bought an industrial size washing machine that's like 16 kilos. Amazing. And I just really feel like that's how all farmers' wives should yeah. live. Yeah. Like giant floor mowers, giant cars, giant washing machines. Yeah. To make living in this extreme environment somehow doable. Um, yeah. So, yeah, like it's just my life. It's just the reality of what happens around me. And then I just now I just kind of see things in reels. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's an opportunity. Got to go, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of do that with my body image stuff. If I'm like, right. I need some ideas. I need to create some content. I sort of just, what crazy places has my mind gone to lately to do with my body or to do with health and fitness? Because if my mind is going there and normally I can rationalize myself through it, other people's minds must be doing the same. Like, I really love when you were sharing, you know, that you were like, I ate a whole bar of chocolate. You know, just sharing your genuine you know, journey through what you're going through. People relate to that so much because, yeah, you're so right. If if you're going through it, chances are somebody else is going mm-hmm. through it. 
And I think that's how I see my life and want to be able to tap into these other beautiful women and say, hey, I see you. I get it. I get that you're going through that. And I know how you're feeling because mm-hmm. I'm probably feeling the same way and we're all in it together. So it's this beautiful kind of, um, yeah, rural thing that we're all doing and, yeah. Yeah, when you shared um, my all-time favourite one about going to town, I shared it to my stories and then I must have been going to town and I had something random in the car with me to take. Yeah. And then um, a friend who's also a Dedicate member sent me a video or a photo and it was her going to town to get her hair done and stuff. And she had a trailer on the back with 10 <laughs> sheep in it. <laughs> it was so good. It was that same day. It was just brilliant. That is the best. Yeah. And yeah. the best thing I love when people, people will send me pictures, you know, from that reel. People will yeah. say, hey, is my random thing that I've got in the classroom. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. good. So often situations are even more extreme than mine, you know, and that's what always is grounding for me too. It's really yeah. nice. Yeah. Um, but what I think sometimes can happen if if you get into a negative headspace is you can think, oh no, I won't share that. Does this ever happen to you? I won't share that because there are people worse off than me. Like I won't talk about the mouse in the kitchen because other people have snakes or crocodiles or whatever. Yeah. Does that ever happen? Yeah, actually it only, it's only happened a few times with sort of some people who have been quite close to me and they felt maybe a little bit offended by my content that, you know, I'm making fun of this life that we have. And, you know, my mother-in-law always says, you know, if anyone has any right to be offended, it's probably me. And she, (laughs) she thinks it's great. You know, she's so supportive of all of my content and I pay her out quite a bit because she's got this, you know, gorgeous English accent and she's always telling me things and, you know, it's the mother-in-law joke and all of that. I sort of, I've let go of trying to, I've let go of trying to control that or worrying about upsetting people because the, the ratio of people who reach out to me to say, you know, I was so sad today, but I saw your reel and it just made me laugh. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. They're the people that I continue to do it for. Yeah. And the yeah. ones who are sort of really struggling, it's probably because maybe they don't feel as okay about life out here as they say that they do. And it's confronting because it's, you know, showing a mirror, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah, because I think as farmers' lives, as farmers' wives, we are, you know, it's a bit of a, a heroic thing you know there's a lot of sacrifice and farmers Mm. in general it's a a thankless task and you know it's a big big job and um maybe making fun of that is offensive to some people Mm. but I just try and focus on like the the people who are really genuinely grateful so it makes a big difference yeah and people can just unfollow if it's not for them regardless of what topic it is Absolutely. absolutely all right I feel like we could delve into you know, the roles of a farmer's wife and all that kind of stuff. But I've taken enough of your time today. So I've got 10 questions and then I will sadly say goodbye. So favorite dedicate workout? Well, as I said to you before, my favorite is the dedicate minis. (laughs) And I love that. I want people to not feel ashamed by that. I want you to embrace that. I am the queen of the dedicate mini. (laughs) And if I didn't feel like one was long enough, I would just back you together. That was awesome. And do you know what's powerful about that is I sometimes think, oh, I don't have time for a full workout. Do a dedicate mini. And then you realize you do actually have time. You thought your your barrier was time, 
but it mm. was actually just an excuse that you didn't feel yeah. like doing it. Yeah, because you get to the end of the workout and you think, oh, I've done that and it actually only took me 10 minutes. Yeah. Oh, I could do another five minutes. So I'll just do the ab one. Or, yeah. You know. so, yeah, I agree. Favorite way to exercise? This is all the exercise. One more exercise question after this, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if I could do any form of exercise, it's dance. I, cool. I actually grew up dancing. I love dance. Awesome. Yeah. Jumping lunges or burpees? Ooh, neither. <laughs> fear cool, fear cool. <laughs> no, lunges, lunges. <laughs> Jumping lunges, though. Completely oh, different no. to lunges. Neither, neither. I don't like either. <laughs> squats, Jumping. you just take the squats option. Squats, that's right. me. Squats. Yeah, I love the squats, yeah. <laughs> um, podcast recommendation? Oh, well, this one, of course. Yes, obviously. <laughs> oh, um, Do you listen to podcasts? Yeah, I, well, no, not really. No. Okay. Really. Well, do you watch TV or listen to the radio? Do you do no. anything? No. Okay. But what I, well, actually, my beautiful friend Alex Mace, actually, she has a podcast. It's so lovely because she talks about health and wellness. And it's called Pure Potential, Pure Potential. Oh, yeah, I'd love to look it up as well. I know. No, no, I like, the reason I like this is because she interviews people who have sort of in that health and wellness space, but part of her sort of prerequisite for interviewing them is that they have to be able to be accessible by people in a rural location. Cool. They sort of offer their services rurally and or via Zoom or whatever. And I love that with Alex Mace and I just love that because it's such a practical thing you know because I you know if I wanted a naturopath for example I just assume in my mind that that's not that's not accessible for me where I live mm. and so I love that she does that because she's sort of collating all of these really awesome health conscious people but so that you can access them so I, yeah that would be my one that I do listen to it sounds like I need to get myself onto that podcast as a guest yes you do you do I will also put in a word for you to her. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Do you go to bed early and get up early or do you go to bed late and get up late? I'm not going to give you the option of bed late, up early. That's I go good. to bed early and I get up early. <laughs> Beach or mountain? I know the oh, answer. Yeah. but Oh, mountain. Yeah, because I grew up on the coast, but I was never a beach person. Ah, I thought you <laughs> were. Okay, nice. No. No, I'm not the quintessential surf chick or anything like that. I'm like a drowned rat in the water. <laughs> Love it. Would you rather be pregnant or have a newborn? Ooh. Well, I do like pregnancy, but I love the smell of newborns and I love pregnancy. Oh, amazing. Oh, okay. I'm going to say newborn. Yeah, because, oh, it's heavy to share your space with someone for that long, huh? <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, okay, this is, we talked about this, how full on it is. So this is going to be hard. But you've got one hour and no kids. What do you do? Ooh, ooh. ooh. <laughs> oh, my gosh, that is so hard. Okay, the first thing that pops into my mind is actually to throw clay. I love, I, I do pottery. and oh, I cool so much and I can't do it with my kids around because they want to put their fingers on the wheel and they stuff up the, the throw. Yeah. So one of my favorite things to do when I've got no kids is to throw potteries to throw clay love it 
favorite item of clothing at the moment? Oh, my thermal um, workout tights, actually. Oh, wearing- awesome. And I just discovered that you could get tights with like fluffy stuff on the inside. And hold on a minute. What temperature is it there today? I haven't even got the thermal tights on. Okay. (laughs) It started at 15 degrees this morning. Freezing. It was quite cold. Quite, quite cold. (laughs) And then when we get to 25, which of course then I'll have to whip them off. But that is my favorite pair of clothing at the moment. (laughs) Love it. And last one, what are you up to this weekend? Oh, well, it's technically Father's Day, so probably nothing for that because we're very, (laughs) not very traditional in Mm -hmm. that. But we'll probably do, oh, we might do a little camp out with our kids. They are super keen and we've got like a little block on our property that is all pine trees. And so all they want to do is take the tent and go camping there in the pine forest. So we might do that. Wholesome fun. Love it. making memories yeah it's the best oh thanks so much for your time Steph it was amazing to get to know you better and like I feel like we could do a whole nother podcast there is so much depth to you and it's beautiful oh thank you I was actually super nervous about speaking to you today and it's actually turned out to be one of my favorite conversations that I've ever had it's nice so why do you think you're nervous is it because of the exercise stuff I'm that big scary fitness lady or what Yes, you're very intimidating <laughs> with all your fitness and your gorgeous legs. And oh, yes. well, that's the last thing I want to be is intimidating. No, <laughs> oh, you're joking. <laughs> no, no, I think it was actually that I knew we were going to be talking about my faith today. And okay. I think, yeah, like before, I've actually never had anybody ask me about it. Instead, I usually have people kind of shy away from it. So it was, it was actually a real honor to speak to you about that. And I'm so grateful that you aren't scared to go there and that you're willing to have those conversations because that just I just think that's the best oh that's beautiful thank you so much thank you very nice oh it's been so great to talk again and I hope to meet you still we nearly met end of last year so I'm going I'm probably going to orange in March but I'm now I'm get the other side of you aren't I yeah, but orange is like, that's only five hours for me. It's very durable. <laughs> oh my gosh, see guys, I love this. Australians in the bush, only five hours. I love it. Do that in a day, no worries. Like if I get up at three, I'll be there in no time. We can have breakfast together. <laughs> you know, I'm an early riser. No, I love that. I love orange. And it's just sort of one of those places where if I was going to go for a weekend, I would make the effort to go to orange. It's actually where I meet my friends if we're going to meet in the middle. It's about five hours for them to orange and five hours for me. So ah, perfect. There's a possibility that I will get to see you there. Yeah, because how far was it from where you live to Tamworth? Um, for only four hours. Oh, so that's why you're like, right, we need to make this happen because it's only four. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, I've kind of been either side of you, have I? Yeah, Is that you Yeah. Or going yep. to be, yeah. Yeah, cool. exactly. I know okay. I can't believe that. It was so close last time, but it just didn't didn't line up. It's okay. Sometimes things work out and sometimes they don't. All right. Thanks so much, Steph. Have an amazing day. And thanks again for your time. No worries. Thank I look you. forward to the next reel. What was it on again? Oh, the washing machine. Definitely. Washing machine. Yes. And I, I'm getting a new washing machine on Friday because ours is packed in and I've been using the laundry mat. Oh. Um, so oh, I'm following that. with interest. Well, yeah, it's a little town of like 2,000 people. That's 10 minutes from us, but it's a tourist town. 
Love it. Well, it's partly tourist town. We've got Aoraki Mount Cook near us and lots of lakes and stuff. So it's, yeah. I know. I remember the first time I met you on Zoom and yeah. looking back, like looking behind <laughs> you when you were talking to me, I kept looking and I was thinking, is that a picture? You're is like, that's a, yeah, that's a big mountain. Like, what the hell? The lake. I could see oh, the, the cover of the lake. And, yeah. I like, oh, and I thought yeah. it was just a fancy backdrop, but it was, you know, <laughs> a real backdrop to your life. So. It was um one of those Zoom, you know, the Zoom backgrounds. Background, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was really cool. Bye. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening to the Dedicate podcast. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe. It helps others find us and also notifies you when new episodes launch. If this is your first Dedicate podcast, welcome. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll also enjoy Liv Hewitson, Dwarfism, Motherhood and Instagram, Sarah Dickey, Bulimia, Motherhood and Mindset Coaching and Emily Riggs, Triumph Over Tragedy. Dedicate is the online health and fitness community and app for rural and regional women across Australia and New Zealand. There is literally something for everyone on Dedicate. Get started now with your seven-day free trial at kateivyfitness.com. See you next week. Thanks, everyone.